0: The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. So good morning again, it's my joy to share God's word with you, pray for me. It's been a very long week, very tiring week, and I find, I must confess, I find the passage somewhat hard. It was a hard passage for me as I was looking at it and just saying, how should we encourage each other? So what Caleb read was from Colossians 2, 16 to 23. We are continuing our sermon series, Christ Over Everything. We've been going through a lot of things. Now, I I want to warn you about something, by the way. Don't play charades with my children. You're going to lose. And especially if they choose to act out some animal. My wife and I learned very quickly that is very futile to play with them because they are going to choose some random animal that you and I have never heard of. And so they're going to be acting it out. And I'm like, and then, duh, daddy, it's the ant lion. <laughs> right? Um, that's not a lion. It's actually a bug. <laughs> duh, it's the gillow monster. Okay. I don't know what that is, then. It's the vampire squid. What? Exactly. Or it's the Martin weasel. What? Exactly. Again, guarantee to lose. No, but what was helpful and really, as I said, Caleb was able to help me especially with my sermon because in that time of hearing these animals, I've never heard of. I got a particular lesson about a snake called the puffer adder. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Oh wow, good, you've heard about the puffer adder. I didn't. This animal is very interesting because it actually uses a form of deception called aggressive mimicry, where it's a really true example of a wolf in sheep's clothing because what the puffer adder does it's going to sit down and wait for hours in some bush. And then it's going to stay there. And then he's going to push out his tongue and start to wiggle it. It's going to, to do it like a dance. What he's trying to do is mimic an insect. So what tends to happen? He lures some prey over. So a, a frog jumping along. A bird going looking for some food or some ro- a rodent doing the same. And they will actually go as close to the mouth. YouTube it, it's very intriguing. They go right to the insect looking for their dinner and in turn they become dinner. Intriguing. You see, this passage that we're actually reading, Paul warns about some messages that certainly mimic the gospel. It sort of resembles the truth that the Colossians have heard and what they've received and What happens though, when they go closer, when they start to embrace those ideas, what happens, it leads to bondage, ultimately to their own spiritual death. In the verses that Caleb read, we see this idea where it's connecting to the general verse before in 8 to 15 where Paul warns us to be careful of certain things. He wants us to identify the characteristics of these traps. He wants them to be aware of the things that are going to ensnare them. But here's the challenge. This is what's a little tricky. These snares, these traps, when you look at them on the outset, they don't seem that bad. Honestly, when you look at someone who is practicing or believes some of these things, they really look like a typical religious person, you could identify them as, no, this guy is godly, this gal is godly. But we need this caution because, frankly, not only is this something that we're susceptible to, but we have a tendency to drift into these things because, really, inside of us, we're kind of attracted to these things. And so the text is calling us to guard our freedom in Christ by being aware of the snares. That's the big idea. To guard our freedom in Christ by being aware of the snares. And so we're going to look at it in three parts. First few verses, we're going to call that the trap of rule keeping. The second point is going to be the snare of spirituality. And then the third The freedom in Christ. Again, these traps, they're very dangerous because they enter churches, they enter pulpits very stealthily. They're so deadly because, as I said, it is ingrained in a lot of us. And again, it also resembles the path that we're called to walk. But at the end of the day, they all fail to deliver on the promise. They all will eventually lead to our disconnection to the only source of our freedom. So, look with me at verse 16. Verse 16, the trap of rule keeping, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. The, the, The therefore that's there again is connecting 8 to 15. Paul gives a general warning to them to not be taken captive by certain ideologies or teachings that are not according to Christ, who is the fullness of God. But here Paul is going to elaborate. So he's elaborating now. What you see here, the teachers who are judging the Colossians, they're doing it based on a few things. What you see here? On foods on festivals, on diets and days. Paul uses a very strong word here, pass judgment. Pass judgment. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. It's a word, by the way, that is not simply talking about don't let anybody criticize you. You know, Paul doesn't take issue with a constructive critique, a, a biblical discernment. This is not what Paul takes issue with sometimes we feel that when we hear this we say listen don't, don't, don't tell me nothing about what I'm doing this is not what Paul is addressing sometimes it's good to get robust debate on certain matters okay sometimes it's okay to look at what scripture says on certain things and discuss it but really this is what the issue that Paul has their judgment goes way beyond critique it's they are potentially making decoration of their standing before God. They are making a judgment and saying, you see, you, you're not really in. That is what's happening here. And they're looking at the practices that they're carrying out. And you see with the description, you see the type of things they focus on. Those people took issue with diets, festivals, new moon, Sabbath. And so it's fair to have said that the teachers that Paul takes issue with are people who are incorporating Jewish laws into the faith of the Colossians. So, okay, I hear you. You say you're a Christian. But to be a true believer, you really need to follow these types of rules. And again, it's very convincing. If you, if you don't notice, because listen... In the Old Testament, laws were given, right? And they were actually very key to ensuring that an Israelite would stand apart from the pagans, to stand apart from their Gentile neighbors. In a sense, if you wanted to know if a person was in the community of God, go open the fridge, see what they eat go to their calendar and say okay are they celebrating the days this is really how they would identify each other being in the community of god and you see the the thing is here honestly this is something we breathe this is the air we breathe in our country in churches we have rules for days for diets for dresses for duties for drums if you are christian you won't wear this and if you are a Christian, you won't watch that. That's the truth. Um, certainly, if you're a pastor, you won't wear an earring. Right? That's a little <laughs> shock and joy over there. But these are the things that you hear. These are the things that you hear. Right? But, you see, what you're seeing here is that Paul says, let no one pass judgment over these types of regulations. And why? Why is that? Why does Paul say that? He says it in verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You see, these matters of rule keeping, these matters of diets and days, of festivals and feasts, They are shadows of a reality that Christians now find in Christ. All these Jewish laws and rules were never an end to themselves. There were shadows. There were shadows that would reflect and point to a greater and more tangible thing, not just a thing, a person who was cast in that shadow. It was Christ himself. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when you look in your New Testament and you see Jesus speak about this in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so when you think about that fulfillment, and you think about some of the things that Paul is addressing here, you get to see that, okay, so... Dietary and food laws that once would make an Israelite a distinct person that would once set them apart as being holy, they've been ended and fulfilled in Christ. So that's why Jesus can say in Mark 7:19 that all foods are clean. It's not the foods that you put into your stomach that makes you clean, but instead what comes out out of your mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so you want to see how clean you are? Let me hear what you have to say. Let me see what you have to type on Facebook, on social media. We say fulfillment of festivals and new moons and Sabbaths because before they would celebrate either the ways that God has saved his people, how he has provided for them, and how he's given them rest. We see how that's fulfilling Christ, because guess what? Christ is God's final saving act. Who, through faith in him, his people can now enter rest. You see how Christ fulfills these things. And so John Piper, he puts it, very well where he says the law was kept perfectly by Christ therefore the law is now manifestly not the path to righteousness Christ is the ultimate goal of the law is that we would look to Christ not law keeping for righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes and so this is what scripture asks you today. know that Christ has come. Why are you embracing shadows? Now again, I can imagine you say, "Ah, Sean, listen, that's not me. I'm not like that. I'm not like these Judaizers. I'm not like these legalists who would ever tell somebody that they will be saved by keeping the law. That's not me. But listen, again, the hard part about, as I read this, I found that it was easy for me to read this and just quickly say, yeah, this is not me. You're not talking to me. But God didn't cause Paul to write these things for naught. He wasn't just talking to them. This is something that we need to hear. And so when you see warnings like that, you really have to say, okay, where am I with this thing? Because listen, it's possible to correctly confess with your mouth that salvation is by grace alone yet by your very conduct be very motivated by your religious performance you see our hearts tend towards measuring our worth by how well we perform you see in our hearts we assume that listen if I do well God will approve of me this is my regular temptation I don't know about you this is my regular temptation. So I know I feel that like I have a good week where when I'm very consistent with my devotions, I'm very consistent with prayer, I'm serving people, I'm serving my wife, my children, I don't cost them off too much. I feel good. I feel good about myself. But you see, what? I don't live up to my standards of Christianity. My self-image falls. You see, this is a trap. This is a trap of rule-keeping. It's deadly because when we attempt to live by them, not only we end up judging others, not only we end up judging ourselves, we actually place judgment on Christ himself. Because to operate like this is to say, you know, Christ is not enough. I need Christ plus rules. I need Christ plus that. That is what happens here. And and don't get it twisted. We're not saying here at Grace Family Church that rules, we have a problem with rules. It's not a problem with rules in of themselves. But when we place our trust in rules, when we put our faith in our faith, we put our faith in our ability to keep rules versus in Christ himself. Listen, this is your temptation. This is your temptation. This is my temptation. Let's look at another trap. Again. Let's look at another one. In verse 18. The snare of spirituality. Verse 18 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Paul continues his onslaught of this warning and points to another objection that the teachers have Been given to the colossians specifically right now the teachers they are addressing their failure to practice certain things spiritually spiritually their particular style of spiritual experiences again the word ascetism that's not something that i use in my regular vocabulary but what does it mean It refers to practices of self-denial. Two things like fasting, long prayers, even isolation. These are the things that you would see where people might go off and where you see monks sometimes. That's what they describe as ascetism. Now, the NIV uses a different translation for it and I think it's hitting the point where the NIV says false humility false humility certain practices that at its core they're false humility you see for these teachers the believers in colossians listen yeah you say you say it but you don't reach yet if you really want to experience god if you really want to grow there are some elements you're missing out you need certain spiritual encounters Again, this is a hard message for me to preach. I must confess, this is a challenge of going through scripture because I really don't want to bother dealing with some of these things. I would rather give a different message. This is what is here. This is a prevalent thing in our churches, in our country, where people rank you and outrightly just declare you're not Christian enough because... You don't have certain spiritual experiences. You say you're a Christian, I hear you. But are you spirit-filled? No, hold on, just hold on, hold on. Again, I don't have a problem with the question in a general sense. And here at Grace Family Church, I want to make this clear. We are a charismatic church. Our conviction is we believe that the gifts have not stopped when practiced rightly, they are for the benefit of the church. We're not talking about that. This is not a message to lick out on that. But Paul wants to lick out on something. Because listen, again, and let's bring it modern day here. Again, you're a Christian, but are you spirit-filled? And again, they have a quite specific statement in mind. It's not, are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Which is keeping with your professional faith. That's not what they have issue with. It's not even are you exercising gifts in general. But typically, specific gifts in mind. Those more exciting gifts. Do you speak in tongues yet? You haven't? Have you had a vision yet? Oh, you haven't? I remember in my teen years growing up in a particular organization where that was rampant. That was rampant. People coming and saying, listen, I had my vision of Christ. Christ came and spoke to me. Um, And Again, the issue that Paul has is not so much about certain things. Paul himself said, listen, I went to the third heaven." And I saw things, I can't have say. said. But guess what? People say things that they are very proud to say. Again, the issue is not spiritual experiences. But again, what presents itself as humility, but as its core, is outright pride. This is what Paul takes issue with. And then he mentions this very weird thing about worship of angels. It's a bit tricky. Because when you look at the commentaries, do you see them saying different things here. Was this outright worship of angels? You know, as I look at it, I wonder if that's really what Paul is hitting at. Because remember, these are the very people who are in the community of the faith. And they are saying certain things. So I, I, I question if that is really what it is, an outright worship of angels. Uh, could it potentially be the Jewish teachings where people understood the angel of the Lord and that being the representation of God himself? Maybe. But others point out that in some ways they were speaking to a certain humility that they had because they're saying, listen, you know, I'm too humble. I need to direct my prayers. I need to direct my intercession through angels because I can't really go straight to God. That's what some people wonder that Paul is addressing here. And, you know, we have some of those realities. Now, again, should this passage apply to you, grace from the church? I believe it should. And so, we even have modern-day realities of that. In some circles, some Roman Catholic circles, you yeah. have the the practice of praying to saints, praying to saints who are not here to intercede for their behalf, praying to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in order to intercede on their behalf. And again, if that's your background, and that's something you've grown up in, you know, I just want to encourage you, listen, being in Christ means you can have access to God. You know, but even in certain circles, we see even universal churches in Jamaica insisting that if you want healing if you want success in your marriage if you want success with your jobs what needs to happen is you need to join us in a particular chain if you do that then then you'll be fine you see because here's the problem at its root. The problem with these approaches is that it ignores the very means that you and I can gain access to the Father, Christ himself. And so, let me ask you a question again. Because you say, i sure all of these things don't really yeah. apply to me. Okay, cool. Do you believe you have access to God? Do you struggle sometimes, though, with saying, you know what? I really just need Joel to pray for me. He has a better hit rate than I do when it comes to reaching God. I need to go to my pastor because he has a certain relationship with God where God hears him. Again, this, this is a question for you if you are in Christ, by the way. Because again, we're talking about believers. We're talking about people who, Paul has said, if you are in Christ, there are certain realities here. So again, I'm not talking about whether if God hear more the prayers of the unjust person. No. This is for you believers. Do you think what you need is a spiritual guru? You need to go to apostle or prophet so and so. that having a session now because that's when I'll get to hear from God. I can't do that by myself. What I need is that. Again, hear the emphasis of what I say. What I need is these things. Listen, yes, God gives gifts to men. I don't want you to um, be confused. God gives, gives gifts to the church. People who are gifted to prophesy. People who are gifted that when they pray, they have faith to see healing. But what was the issue? Again, people who stand at a place where they're saying, you disqualified because you don't experience this. You don't have that gift. Such a thinking is a snare. Because it will cut you off from the only viable source which is Christ. This is what Paul says in verse 19, he expounds and said, the problem with these people is that they are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You said again, though these teachers, they believed that their emphasis on spiritual denial, on spiritual practices was a true part to Christian growth, On the contrary, it did the very opposite. Because they cut them off from the head of Christ himself. You know, again, Caleb and the kids helped me with my sermon because I heard another fun fact about cockroaches. We know that cockroaches are very resilient, right? Do you know that a cockroach can live without its head for over a week? What? A lot of that, by the way, is due to their open circulatory system, yes? And the fact that they can actually breathe through little holes in each of their bodies. You know that? But, here's the thing. They're not dependent on their mouth or head to breathe. But, you know why the roach dies? Without its mouth. It can't drink water, it can't eat. It eventually dies of thirst. You see, this is a problem, as people pursue primarily spiritual experiences, what ends up happening in their focus on these events as opposed to Christ himself, they stunt their growth. They eventually starve off from the true spiritual growth. This is a trap because it will cut us off from the body which has Christ at the head like the roaches demise this can be detrimental for us as believers these types of teaching tend to isolate you from the people of god it tends to cause division in the body of christ and again this is not to say that supernatural experiences do occur in the life of believers But to state that it should be the norm that a Christian chases after, frankly ignores the persistent and ordinary ways that God calls you and I to grow through the scriptures. You see, the ordinary life of going to work and walking on the fruit of the Spirit, that when you're wronged or maligned, you don't respond in that way. The ordinary life of taking care of your children who tend to show no gratitude, yet you're empowered to serve them with joy. The ordinary life of putting off the old ways of living when your spouse frustrates you immensely, but you can show the fruit of the spirit to you. It don't seem that supernatural, but it is very supernatural. It's very supernatural. (laughs) You see, that is a sort of growth which is from God. You see, the, the growth that is from God, that's a type of growth. And so Paul then seeks to put the nail in the coffin of both the rule keeping and the false spirituality. Start to pose a rhetorical question where you cap it off. Just let me end this. Let me end how you're thinking about these things. And so we're going to look at our last point the freedom in Christ. I am so over time. In verse 20. Preach, preach, preach. <laughs> so. So let's look at it, verse 20 to 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul said it already in verse 15 before, that Christ, in his death, he was victorious over the rulers and the authorities. He disarmed the power over those who have died with him. Christian, if you are dead to these ways of operating? Are you dead to them? Don't touch that, don't eat that. Those things you're submitting to, listen, those are things of the old age, things under an old covenant. Listen, like a person who is free from marriage when the other party dies. So too are you, free Christian, from the law of sin. You are free in Christ. So don't submit to these regulations that speak into temporary things. Speaking to things that will perish after their use. Again, it's the type of argument that Paul eventually uses in some of the other pastoral epistles. Where he's talking about certain aspects of the law and the need for Christian charity. Listen, you're free to eat or not to eat. You're free to worship on this day or not that day. You're free to wear that long frock or that skinny jeans. You're free. With some of these matters though, God is calling us to operate it with our conscience. Not to use our conscience to judge another brother and sister or to elevate yourself. Focusing on things that are temporary But really, we are called, though, to use our freedom in a certain way. We're called to use our freedom to serve one another. We're called to use our freedom to not cause others to stumble. And you see, again, what rules try to do, rules try to say, you know what? I need to address this thing of, yo, purity hard. Purity hard enough. So I need to lay out rules. That's what we need. But you see what paul says paul is pointing out that listen the gospel does enough to address these things because again what these rules fail to do the gospel addresses because it addresses the real problem the real problem is not that the girl wearing too tight of a clothing the, the issue that's not that the real issue Issue is your heart it's your heart dress up your heart now again, Paul in this passage talks about according these, these rules, according to human precepts and teachings they have an appearance of wisdom appearance of wisdom you know, one of the things that we try to talk about, just even and be mindful as pastors, because we recognize, again, there's a temptation to hear the things that I have to say and what Joel has to say, especially, and say that this, this is. That's my temptation sometimes, eh? Um, To say, hey, yo, this has weight. And truly, I, I can see it. But you see, because of that, one of the things we talk about a lot is this thing about principle to practice. Really saying, what does the scripture have to say on this? What does God have to say on this? Because the reality is, your principles should affect your practices. But we must be very careful that what we do is we focus on the practices and make judgments there disqualify on those things and not address it. What, what was said in the principle? Again, if you're hearing this and you're thinking Paul is saying it don't matter how you live, um, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Because again, the power to overcome sin is found in us dying in Christ. That's why he asks the rhetorical question, if you died in christ if with christ you died if we don't get that the problem is we are going to take refuge in other things we're going to run to mimics of the gospel we're going to look to the traps of rule keeping and false spirituality again rules and spiritual practices they're not all bad you know but here's the thing sometimes a good servant Is just simply a bad master. These things are good servants to us. Rules, spiritual disciplines, they're good servants. They're they're meant to help us, to serve us, but they're never meant to be our masters. And this is why Paul will talk about the law in this way, where he says it's like a tutor. It's meant to serve you, to know things like the requirements of God, to see how much you need Him, to see how much you don't meet that standard and why, you know, I need Christ. It's to drive us to the feet of the true Master. And so we must never replace Jesus with any other Lord. Whether it be the yoke of rule keeping or the bondage of even law breaking. Because guess what? Christ is the better master who gives us true freedom. Not one where we have a license to do whatever we want, do whatever we feel to do but a freedom that doesn't merely restrain our desires of our flesh but one that puts new desires in our hearts. This is what the better master does. He puts new desires in our hearts. He changes our hearts. The things that we struggle to do, we can actually accomplish them because we have new hearts. The law of Christ. Again, a master who approves us, not because of our own performance, but because of the performance of Jesus and his perfect life, his death and his resurrection. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.